I don't think we can do ministry unless we love people. And again, looking for those opportunities to plant seed is key. We know what it feels like to be without the Lord. We know what it feels like being in search for something that has meaning, for knowing who we are. Uh, are we destined for something? And I think the world continues to search. Just the fact that there's so many different religions and beliefs nowadays that uh, morality is at crisis. Uh, people are searching. It, it, it's a cry for people to God, mm -hmm. I guess, in search for something. So I think what drives ministry is people. In my case, is is that is is God continues to to impart His love for people. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorne. I hope you all are doing well. This past weekend, I traveled down to Griffith, New South Wales with my wife and kids to witness the pastoral installation of Martin and Mava Lee. It was a wonderful day and a great celebration, and we're excited for what they're going to be doing in Griffith moving forward. If you're not from Australia, go check out where that is on the map. That's the furthest I have been inland in New South Wales. It's a nice town and I enjoyed driving through the countryside or the bush as we call it over here. Uh, Ava and I even saved a turtle that was trying to cross the road just outside Griffith. It had uh, gotten caught and a couple of cars were barreling down towards it so we're basically heroes saving the turtle's life. In all we had about 40 to 50 people travel down the six hours from Sydney to support the Lees in Griffith and I'm just amazed at the family of God. It's so amazing. Well, today we are blessed to be joined by Marcella Ferrari. She is a licensed minister that is heavily involved in our local church in Sydney. She's in a number of different areas which we cover on this podcast at our church, as well as a longtime member of the Overseas Missions Committee in Australia. She has a passion for missions and teaching the Word of God. Before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend if you get something out of it and allow it to bless them as well. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show, hopefully we've earned a five-star rating uh, where you listen to the show. I would greatly appreciate that. It provides me a bit of feedback, and it also makes it easier for new listeners to discover the podcast. This was a great comment that I saw on a recent episode. This one right here. Thank you, Brother Greg, for this. Everything Brother Jonathan Downs has shared has really spoken to me. The podcast has provided answers to questions I've been struggling with in responding to God's call over my life. The episode they're referencing is episode 26 with Pastor Jonathan Downs, if you want to check that out. I absolutely love getting feedback like this because this is why we're doing it. This is why we are doing this podcast. Now that all of that is taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Marcella Ferrari. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Brother Greg, for having me. It's an honor. I'm a fan already. <laughs> this is the first one, so I'm so glad I'm here. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I thank you for listening and, and being involved in the podcast. And I know you give me a bit of feedback when, when I first got started, and, and you still do. You still give us feedback, but uh, it's great to have you all. I've been trying to organize this for a couple of weeks, but yes, schedules have uh, gotten busy over the Christmas holidays and people getting sick, <coughs> COVID, <laughs> different things like that. But uh, it's good to finally have you on. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. 
Well, I like to, because you've listened to the podcast, you know how most of these conversations start. And I like to get off, uh, start off by talking about where you come from, your background, just so the listeners get a, a bit of an idea where you're coming from, the sort of worldview that you present. So if you wouldn't mind sure. sharing with us uh, where you come from and, and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, I was born in a small country called Uruguay in South America. I'm from a town, which is the city, Montevideo. My grandfather uh, was Italian and mm. I, on my, on my dad's side and my mum's side, he was Spanish. So that's why we're very feisty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're very quick, we're very passionate people. We have the Italian side and the Spanish side. So I grew up in a very humble home. Um, dad was musical. Dad mm. was part of a musical group uh, that used to perform during summertime. So he used to be part of the percussion section. Oh, cool. And so um, he used to do that every summer. Our summers were three, four months in preparation, yeah. actually. Yeah. They used to rehearse. And I, and I do remember going to his rehearsals at the age of three or four and just sitting at the edge of the stage and watching him practice. And mum was a radiologist assistant and we grew up in Uruguay until I was around five. Then after that, we moved to Argentina, okay. always looking for um, a better future for the children. Mm-hmm. At that time, dad, around eight, when I was eight, dad passed away and mum became the breadwinner, uh, working, you know, 12, 14 hours a day as a single wow. mum. And of course, she's always looking for a place to bring us up that is financially stable. At the time, um, I focused on learning English uh, as a second language. I think everybody in South America knows <laughs> how important it is. And parents make a lot of effort and sacrifice just to send their, their kids to to study English. So I did that and I did music as well. And all of this was in Argentina? In Argentina, yes. Yeah. Um, when uh, I was around 13, um, my brother was around 18. He um, actually left school, high school, and unfortunately he took a path uh, with the wrong crowd and he was involved um, heavily in selling drugs and doing the small trafficking in that area, mm. which put um, mum and I at risk. So mum thinking hardly on what to do and had to keep us safe. You know, I remember waking up and having people coming into our house looking for him. And, oh, wow. And, um, and I do thank God that, and I recognise that God's hand was upon our lines mm. during that time. So mum uh, had a brother here in Australia and, um, and she was looking for a safer place, a, a way out in a sense, you know, also for her to stop working those 14 hours yeah. a day, yeah. you know. Yeah, I can imagine what it'd be like being a single mom. Single mom. Trying to yes. Family. She's, she's one of my heroes, oh, mum. Of course. <laughs> and um, so she contacted her brother who was here. And we came to Australia in 1988. So how old were you when you guys migrated over to Australia? Um, I was 18. So you're an immigrant like me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So you're 18 years old. So I was actually 19 when I came, so roughly Roughly the same age. Yes. So were you already through high school at that stage? I just finished high school then. I had my life planned. (laughs) <laughs> without Australia being involved yeah, at the time. You know, just going to university, um, doing biochemist, becoming an engineer of some sort, you know, wanting to live the dream that mum and dad had, mm-hmm. you know. That's what we always think, you know, the, the kids wanting to fulfil, I guess, their parents' dream. Right, yeah. But then we just came here, 
uh, I was a bit rebellious, obviously, because it was like no choice for, for me. Yeah. But just to come. It had been hard leaving everything yeah. new and you're a teenager, almost uh, an adult at that stage and right. having to move country. Right. And, you know, as I knew how to speak English a little bit, but it's so different, the, the culture itself. Mm. You know, even just, you know, the, the times where we used to have dinner, like in South America, you, you have dinner at 9, 30, 10 at night, you know, and you go to bed at 12 and that's like every day. That's Monday to, to Friday, you know. So adjusting to everything, adjusting to the culture itself was also big mm. and adjusting to the language as well. We did have, um, of course, my uncle was here yep. with his um, daughters and I had cousins on my dad's side as well. And they were very welcoming and loving towards us, you know, and they did the very best for us to adjust here. So you ended up becoming a teacher. So when did you right. make that change when it, when it comes to education um, to your career from wanting to be a biochemist to, or working in biochemistry to yes. being a teacher? Um, the Lord, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, I came to the church uh, around two years after that. And I started to, and, and you know, my, my, my testimony is quite interesting too. Uh, my, my cousin, uh, Alex, she was dating a young man at the time who, who was a friend of one of the young men who used to come to church. And she wanted to come to the church because he invited her. Mm -hmm. And um, she didn't want to come alone. So she actually said, oh, Mars, you need to come with me. It's the usual. Yeah, you know? of course. Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Please come with me. And I said, yes, of course. And we went to one of the conferences oh, uh, at Bankstown <laughs> in 1990. I think it was a conference in 91. So um, you had a baptism by fire. You can go did. to the <laughs> church straight in a conference. We did. So we went into a conference and, um, and I saw the young people at the front, you know, worshiping and praising God. And, mm. and there was something that... I wanted, I, I knew the moment I saw them that that's what they, whatever they had is something that I needed in my life. Mm. I just felt the presence of God. I didn't know what that was. I was raised as a Catholic. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you had any Christian background growing up. So you were raised Catholic. Raised Catholic. Okay. Uh, I've got my bishop used to say Catholics make great Pentecostals. <laughs> that's true. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I was worried about that. Yeah. So, um, so I was a Catholic, you know, and, and Catholics something that they always instilling you the fear of God, you know, from the side of wrath, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know you need to be a Catholic or else, you right. know, um, and this bunch of rules. Um, and that obviously in my case did not bring me closer to God at all. Mm. When I saw how these young people live their Christian life and through praise and worship, I said, oh, that's, I knew in my heart that that's something that I, that I wanted and I needed. So that was at the Bankstown Conference. How did you yes. get connected to what was then Grace Tabernacle Christian Center and what become Pentecostals of Sydney? Right. Um, because right after the conference, because it was at Bankstown, mm -hmm. my cousin's boyfriend started to attend Belmore Church was then. Okay. Yep. And he, uh, he used to bring me, pick, pick me up and take me to the church. Mind you, I'd only been in Australia for two years, so my English was like very limited. Certainly, I didn't have any Bible English. You know? <laughs> All those terms of mercy and grace and yeah, you know, wow, sin. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was no things that we used to speak every day, yeah. you know. I actually hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's interesting. 
because you know you would have a cursory understanding of English for right. communication and so on, and then all of this other language is being brought in with there's meaning to mercy, there's meaning to grace, and, right. and you're having to try and figure out okay, what exactly are they talking about when they're talking about this? I hadn't even considered that, but yeah. Right, and it was one of those things that um, that you experience, I guess. So for me, coming to the Lord was literally an experience, something that I felt in my heart and that my spirit was telling me, this is it, this is this is what you need, this is where God is it, is in. And I remember coming to the services all of January, the conference was the first weekend of January. Then... My cousin Alex went on a holiday with her friends that she already planned. We both already made up our minds that, man, there's something interesting in this church. You know, we never felt this before. And we saw the change in Tony. Mm. So she went on a holiday and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to forget me. And he, no, every Sunday he would come and pick me up. You know, he would take me to church and I'd remember feeling the presence of God so strongly. And um, I was extremely shy. I will not go to the front. At the time, and uh, Sister Rietana Makandre, yeah. you know, she, she came and she spotted me in the little crowd and, uh, and she led me in a prayer of repentance. Oh. And, uh, and I just felt the presence of God immediately and I just started to cry. And, um, and I said, well, I guess this is good. This, this, this feels good. Mm. You know, I didn't know the people. I didn't know how. I always said, knew how to say hello, how are you, very limited, you know. But I just felt the presence of God. And that was and that was powerful. Well, and so, how long after that before you were born again? You had the born again experience. Uh, at the end of that month, every time that I went to church, I felt the presence of God, and I could hear. At the time, it was Bishop Slack. He used mm. to preach, and preach again. The conviction. I always felt the conviction. Mm. You know, I, I could listen to the message and just grasp some of the of the words and the meaning that I could feel such conviction. Mm. I knew that there was something right. that, that I needed to do. I knew, you know, that, that there was more than just uh, saying, God, sorry for my sins, you know. Mm. And uh, somebody gave me a Bible study. I got connected to Sister Diane, Diane Padilla. Oh, yeah. At the time, she was Diane Nassif. Yeah. And for those that know Diane, he was such a, a people's person, you know, somebody that poured herself into your life and uh, and she nurtured me. She was like my mom spiritually. I just started to give me Bible studies. So after the first Bible study, um, and she she lived in Mexico. Right, so she was able to give you a Bible study. So she was giving me some Spanish, some English, some Spanish, oh, some great. English. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was fantastic. So then I began to understand the importance of, of baptism. True. So when my cousin Alex came back from her holidays in her shulk, I was already baptized in Jesus' name. It was like, what? Did you do it? Uh, and I said, I just couldn't wait. <laughs> it was it was one of those things that, you know, you just, I just, once you understand, you know, I said, I just had to do it. I couldn't wait for you to come back. That's awesome. So, and then the, the week after she got baptized. Hmm. And yes, so that was my first uh, step towards salvation. And you kind of feel that, you know, I missed out. Mm. In all these other years of not knowing the word of God. So yeah. I kind of got a Bible and I started to have Bible studies, learning English and learning the Bible at the same time. Mm. Um, so that was that was powerful. And yeah. so how did that connect into you ultimately wanting to go into teaching? Was it because of that desire to know more and you wanted to 
teach others? I know you're, you're, you're doing actual proper teaching, like in school. In school, yes. So how did, you, how did that lead to you wanting to become a teacher? I was um, also close to another sister in the church that she was working at a childcare centre. Mm-hmm. And she was doing before and after school care. And they just needed somebody to work with her because somebody got sick. So I started working with her. And I started to get um, close to children. You know, I, I will interact with children. I've noticed that they just accept you just as you were with mm-hmm. your limited English. Or, you know, it was fine. They, they taught me how to, you know, say the right things, you know, or how to pronounce things the right way. So from there, I worked and moved to another childcare centre. And uh, after two years being a childcare assistant, the director said, you need to do teaching. Mm-hmm. And I started to do Bible school as well um, while I was working in the childcare centre. And one of the, uh, the lessons that, that we had um, at the time we did um, Kent Bible College. And one of the lessons that, that, we done, um, that we were going through was about missions, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always have a heart after missions. When I was researching, if there was ever an opportunity to go to a mission field, there are two professions that um, the doors will open easily. And one will be nursing and the other one will be teaching. Mm. And there's no way I could do nursing. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way I could, you know, see blood or, you know, or that side of, of nursing. So I, I said teaching will be a good opportunity. And because I was also working with children, I began to have a love for for education and educating kids. That's awesome. You came to the church, uh, you were a younger person, so you would have gotten involved in youth and doing these sorts of things, learning and growing in the church. And then ultimately you got involved in ministry. When did you first feel the call to ministry to, you know, go a little bit further than just going to church or, you know, having a relationship with God, but actually wanting to become a minister? I think for me was, um, a series of moments, I guess. It wasn't like one particular time that I felt that said, God, I'm, you know you're calling me now at this particular moment and from now on I will. Yes. Uh, remember uh, a bishop's like always speaking and encouraging all the young people and one of his famous saying was, whatever you find to do, do unto the Lord and do it with all your might. Mm. So I'm from the same school as uh, Pastor Harvey and Sister Gina Gretsch, you know, that whatever you find to do, just do it as unto the Lord mm-hmm. and, uh, and do it with all your heart and with all your might. So um, I guess I always look for opportunities, mm. and, you know, opportunities to serve, opportunities to do something for the kingdom of God, opportunities to, to support, uh, to give Bible study. You know, I do remember... When after I was having Bible studies with Sister Diane, three months later, I was giving Bible studies with my broken English to other people, you know, mm. because I knew that whatever opportunity was to, to show the love of Christ and to show somebody that God has a way for them, has a plan mm. for them, any opportunity that I, that I could encounter to plant seed because that's what it is, you know, right. just to plant that seed that, you know, God has a plan for you, God cares for you, then I was going to go through those doors. And I know people pray for the will of God. Right. You know, God showed me if I should be involved in this. And, and to be honest, I don't remember a lot of the time praying, God, should I do this? It's like that opportunity is there and the door is there for ministry. 
and we might as well do it. Yeah. Because I'll always have the bishop. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever opportunity, whatever you do, if you find something to do, do it for Christ and do it with light. Yeah. And yeah, oftentimes we get the calling in the process of doing the work. Sometimes uh, younger people don't necessarily want to do the work, the things that aren't necessarily on the stage, on the platform. They feel like the calling is straight to the pulpit. But oftentimes God's calling us to be involved in ministry at, at the sort of granular granular level at the relationship level and then through the process of that we get to the point where god opens doors and gives gives us the opportunity to teach to gives gives us the opportunity to to preach and to grow in our Mm. ministry and i think that's so important that that we remember that it's not always going to be that as you said that one singular moment but oftentimes god works through you making yourself available and being willing yes to to do whatever it he needs you to do. Right. And a lot of the things that I've been involved started that way. Like I was involving with, with young people and that's because they needed somebody to organise schedules. Mm. Oh, Marcella, you can do it. Yes, I can do it. There was the opportunity to to be an assistant youth leader, you know, and, and, and it was because, oh, Marcella's there, Marcella, are you willing? I'm willing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the same thing with uh, being part of the National Youth Board when we, we had the, the National Youth Committee the opportunity was there. Somebody else that was a youth leader was not able to be involved in that at a national level. And, and they said, and they suggested my name. And I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I'll do it. Yeah. And, um, and that, that willingness, I guess, to, uh, and what the bishop taught us to be faithful, mm-hmm. right? Faithful in, this, in the small things, you know, and being willing to just step out of your comfort zone and not knowing exactly how things were going to pan out right not knowing that okay god called me to do this and it has to happen this way so in every door that opened i kind of went for it and um and god has been so gracious to me that in the working things out he has empowered me with abilities and gifts Mm. and that and talents and um wisdom that i never thought i would have or i never thought i could solve you know, see situations or give advice with my own wisdom, you right. know, I knew it was God yeah. in a lot of the ways. And then ultimately you became a licensed minister with the UPCA. Right. When was that? What year was that? Um, that was uh, 2012. 2012. 2012. After being involved in, in overseas missions and spending a lot of time with Ibu Maghreb Ballet. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into that for sure. Uh, God has been so, so gracious to me that even as part of the youth teams uh, traveling through Australia, I was able to sit in, in the kitchen with uh, Brother Jacobson mm. and Brother Glass and people that were in the executive board and, you know, people that, that believed in young people, mm. people that believed in young women being able to minister. You know, they, they opened their churches, they allowed me to be to be preaching on the pulpits, you know, with no license, right? Yeah. Just as a, as a young single lady, you know, and um, and being there, you know, just having coffee with them and and being able to to glean from their wisdom and just have conversations, they they actually um, guided me into continuing to answering the call that God had upon my life. It was one of those conversations I had with, with Sister Margaret Ballet. You know, and I was saying to her, Sister Ballet, but God's already opening doors for me. Uh, why would I need license? It wasn't that I was 
didn't want to go for a license. I just have, had a different understanding of what it, what it meant. Right. And she said, Mars, having license is not what you think it is. It's not just opening the door to ministry. You are already doing ministry. God's already opened doors for you to minister overseas, internationally, you know, as well as nationally. It will validate in the eyes of men that the executive board recognized the calling that God has upon your life. Yeah. And in 2012, I went for license, for local license, supported by, by a pastor, Pastor Harvey. And you, as you know, <laughs> you walk into, into the room and there's all yeah. these giants of the faith. Very <laughs> terrifying. Yes. Sitting in front of you and asking you questions. And then you walk out for five minutes or so and they deliberate and then you come back and they say, you know, we, we consider you worthy of local license. I'm not quite sure what, what the words were. And of course you melt. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it wasn't until they laid hands on me that I understood that there was a shift mm. in the spiritual authority that I was having until that point in ministry. Right. And when they laid hands on me, I just felt such an overwhelming presence of God that I knew it was more than just the recognition of the call that God had on my life from my elders. It did something in the spirit. Mm. I felt there was a great authority that came with that. So I saw license in a different way, you know, and I, I honored my elders and, and I was very humbled by them giving me license and, and brother Jacobson, close the meeting and say, I just got one more question, Sister Marcella. He said, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and when he asked me that question, it's just smiled, you know, it was like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> but it was a powerful uh, transition as well in, in the spirit realm, you know. Yeah. I think the enemy knows how authority is transferred and, and I think the laying of the hands is powerful. Yeah, and I think uh, it's important that people remember that, that it's not just a process. It's not right. part of like a boys and girls club, you know, you're right. in, in group or whatever. But it it is that transference. It is that blessing. It yes. is that laying on hands. I had similar experience, you know, when, when that happened for us. And uh, it's it's amazing. And thankfully, I got a bit emotional when you were talking about Brother Jacobson, you know, just remembering yes. him. And, and I'm grateful that he was there when, when I got my license as well. Like some of the uh, elders that have gone on, you know, we're so blessed to have had them in our lives and, yes. and being able to connect with them. And then now in turn, we can, you know, reach out and, and try and impact others, try and bless others. Right. And hopefully through conversations like this, through yes. the podcast. Absolutely. Um, but further to what we were just talking about. I know you already gave a little bit of advice to uh, young people or those who are seeking after the call of God in their life, wanting to take that next step in their ministry. Do you have any further advice that you would give someone who is thinking along those lines, they feel the, the call, they feel like God is moving, moving them in a certain direction? What sort of advice would you give them? What has helped me in, it has been uh, seeking for those opportunities and doing them and stepping out by faith. Right. And not to have already a conceived idea of how that's going to work out and, and what areas of involvement you should be, you should start with. Mm. I think um, God has given us a harvest and there's so much to do. And 
to play many roles uh, in ministry. It really builds you as a Christian mm -hmm. and also builds your ministry. Yeah. Um, like I was telling you, you know, the, the moment I, I saw an opportunity and somebody asked and I stepped out by faith is when God equipped me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't waiting to be equipped before I could do something. Right. I think um, God equipped me as I was saying, okay, there's an open door. What is in that open door? Something that I can contribute with. And the moment I could find that link, God gave me passion for it. Mm. I didn't wait for the passion to start so that I could get involved. I think mm -hmm. it was by seeing an opportunity and walking through it. And of course, talking to my pastor about it, you know, and, and people that mentored me, I found that the moment I, I was committed to that, uh, to crossing and just committed to that opportunity, whatever aspect it was, I felt that God really equipped me. Mm. Like, you know, gave me the gifts that I didn't have, gave me the words that I didn't have, showed me things in the word of God, gave me revelation. People talk about the, the revelations <laughs> from the word <laughs> of God. It was like, and I don't know if, if it's a, you know, everything for me will be a revelation because knowing what I've come from, my humble beginnings, knowing that uh, I was from a little town with a working family that nobody gave three dimes. <laughs> I could still relate to Gideon, you know, the mm. least of the least, you yeah. know. Then I know that everything that I am is because of the grace of God. Yeah. And all he requires is just us to act and, and just to step out yeah. and, and not to... Um, play down any doors that opened just because you feel the call of God. It does, like you said, it doesn't mean just the pulpit. It doesn't mean just the teaching. I think uh, relating to people is a great call of God. Yeah. yeah. Having the people skills. I think uh, Brother uh, Norris uh, just recently had, had him on the podcast. Mm, yes. Dr. Right. Norris, and he said you can basically boil ministry down to relationships. Yes. Relationships with people. And a church isn't going to allow you to pastor them if you don't have a relationship with the people. Right. You know, no one's going to allow you to lead them if if they have no relationship with you. And so it's so important to build a relationship. Yes. And I love your point that you made about not pigeonholing and, and not holding yourself back from doing something because, oh, I don't have a passion for that. You know, right. like I, I just became the UPCA Media Ministry Director and I was not passionate about media or anything like that until I started working at POS and saw right. a need for it. And we had the explosion of social media. So I was like, well, we're moving in this direction. So we need to do what we can to be on these platforms yeah. and on website, websites and doing these sorts of things. And over time, uh, you know, learn the knowledge and the ability. So then I can, through this ministry, I can now help the gospel continue to spread. Mm. But if I would have said at the beginning, oh, no, media is not for me, I, I'm not very creative, right? Yeah. I'm not actually a, a good designer or anything like that. But I, I, I guess I can see what looks good or so on and so forth. But the, the point is, is that I didn't shut that door. Right. And there's so many things that, that you've done in, in your ministry and, and in your life that maybe, you know, you didn't expect to be able to do that straight away. But then once you got involved, as you said, you got that passion for it. Yes. And then ultimately God kept opening the door. The passion continues to grow. Right. And uh, one of those passions was, or is, not was, is overseas missions. You're yes. very passionate about overseas missions. Anyone who knows you knows that. And uh, you've been involved in overseas missions for 
a number of years. You currently serve as the promotions director. Correct. Of the uh, overseas missions department of the UPCA. Why are you so passionate about missions? Why is it that you found yourself in this area and you became so passionate about missions? The gospel to the whole world. Hmm. This is what we're called to do is, is just to take it across the world. That um, our area, the Pacific, there's so many little spots that haven't been touched yet by the gospel. Mm. And we have that commission to go, to go as, as far as, as we can. And, and this year has been an extraordinary year for, for a year for overseas missions because even though we haven't been able to be on the, on the grounds ourselves, we supported brother and sister Perry who have done a tremendous job in the Pacific region with East Timor and Indonesia as well. Even though we haven't been able to be on the grounds, the giving has been outstanding from mm. the Australian church. It was, yeah. I think it has been one of the, the years that we have given the most through pledges, through special offerings as well. Mm -hmm. um, altogether, we have given close to $450,000 wow. across the two years, right? Yeah. Um, but, but, but it has been incredible for us. And we have been able to to put legs on the grounds when it comes to their people, right? Yeah. We have invested, we have been able to do, have seminars that I know um, Pastor Harvey, Brother Downs and Brother Perry, Brother Wilmot also, they have taught uh, seminars through, through video conferencing and they have imparted, you know, in East Timor and across Indonesia as well to Samoa. We know that, that Brother Harvey has been able to teach uh, in the Bible school one particular subject about ministry. Mm. So despite of the restrictions, despite of, of um, being limited in going, I think um, the gospel is still going. Right. You know, we're still imparting. People are still hungering in those places. It's great to see the, the Timor-Leste brothers and sisters going into our town already, continue to preach and baptising people in the rivers. You know, we have around five different locations there that, that we, we have outreaches and, and they're continually growing. Mm. And, um, and they're moving in the spirit now. We, we having, they're having people receiving the Holy Ghost. It's one of the, the areas that we have struggled in the past, even across Indonesia, was the outpouring of God's spirit, right? Um, by the local, uh, amongst their own ministry. And, uh, and now we're seeing that that's, that that's happening, you know, that they're not waiting for somebody from overseas to lay hands on them and to, <clears throat> to do the altar call, but they're opening themselves up for God to fill them, yeah. you know, wherever they are. So, so it's, it's powerful to see that. Yeah, and I guess this could be a bit of a blessing in disguise where uh, we're still able to teach, but then also they're having to rely on the ministry that's already there in order to see the church continue to grow. Right. Like in Timor Leste, in Indonesia. And you've traveled through to all of these places. I traveled with you to Indonesia. Yes. I think we mentioned it on uh, sister the conversation with Sister Bullet. Right. That was an epic trip. We went to Jayapura. I think it was you. Me, brother my wife, Simon. yeah, brother Simon, uh, butcher, and sister Billette. I think that yeah, that was it. That was that was the team, and we had a, a great trip over there. I don't imagine that's your favorite trip, so I would <laughs> like to, because you've been on so many. I'd like mm. to hear <clears throat> or maybe a story or two from your time on the mission field on well, one of these trips. 
our first trip has always been very, very, very special to me. And that's the first trip that Brother Jonathan Downs talked about, which is when we were part of the, the youth team to India oh, yeah, in 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all young. And a lot of us that were part of that team uh, are licensed ministers now and our pastors and ministers' wives. So that was, that was a memorable one. Arriving into Calcutta and then uh, staying there for two days. We, we couldn't see the sun because the smog was so heavy. Remember going on the bus and putting our faces out and then putting our faces back in, you know, after we'd been out of the window mm. and then touching our, our faces and it would be charcoal. Oh, marks of charcoal all over oh, our faces, you know, because of the smog and, and then travelling into Mizoram, you know. Mm. That trip actually changed my life and not only learned uh, how to be practical in missions, but also how to see the hand of God and those that are hungry and, mm. you know, thirsty for him, you know, how, how they will just come even before the preaching was, was finished and, and they will lift their hands, how, how God's spirit moves barrier, language barriers mm. and, and, and we can all still worship together. Travelling by bus from Azor, which was their capital of Mizoram, around 14 hours, I think it was, or more, or 17 hours, on those winding roads, you know, and stopping at every town because nobody has seen white people. <laughs> <laughs> and every single town we stopped and then we all got off, you know, and I was the, the musician of the, <laughs> the team with my guitar. And we just learned Send on Down mm. by, by Brother Jaron Davis. Uh, we used to uh, take um, a lot of his music. At the time, learned a lot, a lot of his music. So every single town we, we got off, it was us with a guitar, send it on down. <laughs> and everybody sung, even those that didn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> and up, the, up on the bus, down to the next town. I think we did like eight stops. Wow. And shaking everybody's hands. And, and it had uh, to be crazy. It, it was Someone incredible. Someone from Uruguay with your background. Uh, no, who would have thought? How many Uruguayans would have been in, have been in Israel? <laughs> Only by, by the grace of God, I'm telling you, yeah. just, just the places that, that God has, has, has taken us, has taken me, is just incredible. So, so I learned all the practical things about missions. Mm. I learned that, um, that if you ever want to involve in missions, especially ladies, pack light. Because <laughs> you have to carry your own luggage. <laughs> when we went to Kalimantan with, with Sister Gina Gretsch as well, and uh, on Rotti Island, um, I think your Kalaman, the Kalaman Kalaman is one of my favorite <laughs> hearing those stories. Borneo, that was, that was incredible as well. You know, again, we when you travel, you have to carry your own luggage, and and because not because the brothers can carry yours, we have brothers in their teens, but we usually take other things for their churches. So yeah. so we carry our own luggage, and we might have boxes with materials and things. So so the brothers will look after their luggage and the, the rest of the boxes, and us. Girls, we have to carry our own luggage mm. plus everything else that, that we could carry. And I remember trying to get onto this little boat and there was all the motorbikes waiting. We were all waiting. Where was this at? Just on a trip on Kalimantan okay, yeah. before we got to the main city with Brother Matthias, mm-hmm. um, one of the elders there, very gracious, and Brother Amin, uh, Amin Lee as well. He, he was with us at the time. And so we were waiting for the boat and then there's two little timber planks you hold your luggage in a way that you could balance your weight because you have to use 
one leg for each plank, you know, boom, 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 <laughs> going up. And we were waiting first and we were the only passengers that were traveling um, with, but just by, by standing up because the rest were all motorbikes. Oh, right. Yeah. So all the motorbikes went up through those <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty fast. You know, they, they went up those, those uh, timber planks things and they were all lined up. And then it was us trying to go onto the boat with our own luggage um, and trying to, to balance things. And then all the motorbikes were looking at us while we just tried to <laughs> balance everything up. And we managed to get into the boat and, um, and managed to get across to the place that we were going. And uh, it was just, that was an interesting trip. Mm. And you've been into, you've been into East Timor as well? You've yes. Or Timor Leste? Timor Leste, yes. Yeah. So, and you've been all all throughout the region where, where overseas missions, Australia is involved pretty much Yes, over the years. Yes, I've been very, very blessed. Um, my first trip was with uh, Brother Glass. Oh, yeah. I was uh, part of one of the trips to Timor Leste with uh, Brother Glass. And it was during their time where things were very, very unsettled in Timor Leste. There were curfews and then we only had four or five hours to actually meet with the leaders. Mm. And and that particular time, um, the leaders were, were Brother Bernardo, was um, very hungry to hear the word of God. Uh, he was um, a man with an incredible history as he was a, a prisoner of war for many, many years. And he was in contact with, with somebody that spoke up to him about the truth. Um, I think it was through Brother Downs as well that also made, made contact with him. And yes, th those were interesting trips as well because we were only there and we could only see them for a certain amount of hours and then the, the curfew would come yeah. and then we could hear all the military moving around and things like that. Right. So, yes. So you've, you've seen the work in Timor State develop, you've seen the work in Indonesia develop over the years. What excites you about the future of overseas missions in Australia? Yes, what excites me is that the young people excite me. Mm. I think being able to pass this passion and seeing young people interested in missions is great, mm. is, um, is what drives the heart of God, I believe. I think there's such a, a wonderful opportunity for young people to get involved in missions from the local churches as well as being able to travel. Mm. We always talk about our experiences in the mission field and and, and there's nothing like going to the mission field. Yeah, exactly. Right, just just to see first firsthand how, how God moves, what, what the people uh, want, are seeking for. Um, that is that is exciting. That is that is exciting. And there are exciting times ahead as as we move to into twenty twenty two with um with refresh vision and um, with the opportunities that that we will be able to actually travel. Yeah. All right. And we'll be able to go and visit the fields and, and build those strong connections with our region, you know, not just with Indonesia and Timor Leste, but strong connections we had with obviously Fiji and Kiribati, mm -hmm. you know, um, and as well Samoa and now. And, and it is powerful to know that God is still moving, that d despite of what we went through with the pandemic now God's ready to move and to take us further so so that is exciting yeah. I'm looking forward to finally get to travel again I haven't yes. traveled since like March 2020 so I, mean, I 
I can't wait to be able to go back out on those trips on this on the mission field and into other countries and just see yes. what God's doing uh, around the world, not just here in Australia. Now, getting back to our local church, because you're very active in our local church here in Sydney. You are our first impressions leader. And the reason I bring that up is because I have a passion for first impressions. Right. You and I work closely <laughs> with that. We and, do. Uh, First Impressions is like our greeters, ushers, mm. hospitality. Uh, you're also involved in the music department. I'm involved as well. Yeah. And you've been involved in the music department for a number of years now, yes. dating all the way back to, you know, the, when you first came, came to the Lord. Right. Uh, you're involved in New Life Journey, teaching uh, Next Steps. You head up our Next Steps. Yes. And obviously you teach Bible studies. What drives you when it comes to ministry? Because you can see, listener, you can see how very involved um, Marcella is, Sister Marcella is, in all the different aspects of the church, especially in getting people grounded, getting people connected mm -hmm. to the church and grounded in the church. Um, so what drives you? What is that driving passion for you when it comes to ministry? We were talking about the, the call of God earlier on, about when is it that, that we know, and, and it's that series of moments uh, that we are at the altar, perhaps, or with somebody speaking and and sharing the word of God. And it's during those times that when we try to empty ourselves, right? Because we just try, because we know, we always have said, you know, God, whatever you want, that will be done, not mine. <laughs> so that's a form of, you know, wanting to empty ourselves, right? And, and God fills you, and God fills you with his love for people. I don't think we can do ministry unless we love people. Mm. And again, looking for those opportunities to plant seed is key. Yeah. We know what it feels like to be without the Lord. We know what it feels like being in search for something that has meaning for knowing who we are. Uh, are we destined for something? And I think the world continues to search. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that there's so many different religions and beliefs nowadays that uh, morality is at crisis uh, People are searching. It, it, it's a cry for people to God, mm -hmm. I guess, in search for something. So I think what drives ministry is people. Yeah. You know, in my case, is is that is is God continues to to impart His love for people. Mm. You know, He came to reconcile the world to Himself, and and everybody is in that search, the same that you and I were at one stage. Yeah. So, so that would what what drives me mm. to serve with excellence. Yeah, and you can see that you know anyone who knows you can tell that you are a people person and that you're driven by people and loving people. Why do you think first impressions is so important? I'm going to give you this opportunity. I've set up a soapbox for you. Thank you. <laughs> Feel free to step on that because I know you you this go to is, other churches. You teach yeah. first impressions as well. But why yes. do you think that's so important for the church? What? Seven minutes <laughs> has been a mantra, right? Yeah. Seven minutes is all it takes for somebody to make up their minds to see if this is the place that they want to belong to, mm. right? The first impressions is about welcoming people into your home. It's about hospitality to, to excel at hospitality, is to create that atmosphere, that culture. Before a song is sung and before a sermon is ever preached, there's always a message already being preached mm -hmm. from the moment that they park the car 
to the moment they looked at the building from afar, the message is always there, is already there mm. to the person that greets them, to they feel comfortable enough to scan what's, what's going on, who's there. Not only how they treat them, but how people treat each other. Right. Yeah. I think is, is, is that culture. Um, Jesus is our ultimate ex example. He always welcomed strangers, always welcomed strangers. Mm. So I think that it, it is key for us to follow that, to create the culture, to show others that is by the love that we have one for another, that we are able to serve one another, not just serve them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so what are that that, that um, they will want to belong to to a group of people that do that selflessly? Yeah, and and all you have to do is, is think back to interactions that you've had at places where you've gone for the first time, right? A restaurant, a hotel, or whatever. And it, what happens in those first few minutes stays with you, you right? Know, if if the person at the hotel ignores you, or if you go to a restaurant, and mm. I remember Stephanie and I, and we've never gone back. We went to a really <laughs> nice steak place went to a really nice steak place in the city and they saw us come in, a young couple, we were in our early 20s, and they decided to seat us in the back, like next, like in the probably the worst spot that you could get in that restaurant. I guess they assumed we didn't have any money or whatever. <laughs> and just being sat in that position, we're like, oh, I don't, I, mean, I guess they don't even want us here. But, and they may not even thought that. They may have just said, well, this is a table that's available, even though there were other table places available. <laughs> But who knows what they were thinking when they did that. But that's the sort of mindset that we should have when we're welcoming people right. to churches. We got to think about, it. We, you know, when we go to church, we've been going to church for years, some of us for decades, right. and we know what church is like. We know what the building is like. Everything, mm -hmm. is, everything is normal to us. But then when someone's coming for the very first time, everything is new. Right. You know, I, I think about when I first came to Australia, probably when you first came to Australia, or even when you moved to Argentina, yes. you know, everything is new. Everything is, everything looks different. Everything feels different. And so if you come to a place where they're welcoming, where they love you, yes. where you can see that it's not fake, but they genuinely care and love about, right. love you. But, and I love your point about how we serve and treat others as well, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, because they'll see how you show love to them and, right. and they'll understand, hey, these people yeah. are genuine. They're not just being fake because... I'm a guest and I'm new yeah. to the church. I think that the challenge for every church member is that we should not just go the extra mile, but we should live mm. in the second mile, right? That, you know, going that, that extra mile means, you know, I'm going to do extra for you. But if I live in that second mile, right? Because the first mile we've heard Pastor Harvey preach many times about the first mile, which is mm. what uh, is required of us, right? Yeah. You know, is just what is required. And, and if we live in that, we not only are robbing ourselves of God's blessings that God's are pouring, because that's just a requirement. It's like tithing, right? Yes, that's right. But to live in the second mile is a shifting culture where, where we are doing more than is required of us mm. to do as church members, not as just first impressions teams, mm. right? Also, we, we talked many times about being undercover first impressions people, you know, yeah, yeah. in the congregation, yeah. you know, just in trying to impart to to uh, church members the same passion that if you're sitting right there in the congregation, that you also need to be scanning for for the new person approaching them and saying hello and relating to their experience and yeah. and finding out where they come from, right? Yeah. 
I think the the challenge for us is to live in the second mile. Yeah, that's good. And and that's something that my bishop always said to us, going back to Bishop Slack and Pastor Harvey says it the same, is about doing the extra, a little bit extra of what just is, is required of us. Yeah. So um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're part of the Sydney crew, <laughs> here we go. You know, we need people. We need, you know, we, we're constantly re- recruiting, you know, hostesses, ushers, hospitality team needs you, the task force team needs you, and we are going to start afresh this year. Yeah. We, we have over 80 uh, different members in our team and the oh, first impressions awesome. team going from hostesses, ushers, coffee team, um, food prep mm. task force, which again, all of us are volunteers and um, we are not able to do ministry without you. Mm. So besides saying, uh, come and join us, I'm going to say thank you <laughs> <laughs> to everybody that is part of the first impressions team because they do an outstanding job, yeah, they do. outstanding yeah. job. And if you don't live in Sydney and you want to be part of a great team, feel free. <laughs> Move to the Sydney. borders are open. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. And uh, yeah, it's been good to learn a bit more about you. Some of the things I may not have even known, even though our friendship dates back 12, 13 yes. years. But I want to give you, we like to close out these conversations and give the guests an opportunity just to share a word from the Lord to the listeners, something specific for this podcast. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a word with, with sure. the listeners and, and taking this out. Thank you again for coming over. Well, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Psalms 36.5 is one of my favorites. It says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. And there are literally dozens of scriptures that we can use as examples of God's faithfulness, hmm. but none of them are most life-changing that the scriptures that talk about are forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. So despite being new in the Lord, despite perhaps you are seeking salvation and then you look at yourself thinking, all that I've done, God will never forgive. Here the scripture tells us that his faithfulness, his faithfulness extends to the heavens and reaches to the clouds. And for us that are his children, we still need that forgiveness of sin and that love that that cleanses every day. I love that when I walk with the Lord, the Lord doesn't count my failures, that if I just need to find a place of repentance, Mm -hmm. just like Samson did at the worst point of his life, he did find that place and he asked God for one more chance. Strength me one more time, right? And I think if we, as children of God, remember that his faithfulness reaches to the skies. Then when Paul was was praying for the Ephesian church in chapter 3, he was praying for them to be strengthened in the power through the Spirit of God and this inner man will be strengthened. But the next verse in verse 17 of chapter 3 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To be grounded in his love Mm. is the most important thing because his faithfulness is new every morning and he will take us from one day to the next. So I want to encourage you, trust him. There's no failures with God.